I'd like to thank our top sponsors, Marcella Schiriak, Anders Berge Christiansen, and Erde Nerdrum for making this show possible. And welcome to the 15th episode of The Cave of Apelles. My guest for the evening is a designer, but no friend of consumerism. Her goal is to elevate man and to create an alternative untainted by time. She is inspired by a classical painting and the essence of good clothing throughout history. What we always return to if we disregard fashion. Elena Dragsen, I'm glad to have you on the show. Thank you. You, as the English would say, look smashing. <laughs> what are you wearing today? What I'm wearing today? Uh, I'm wearing a 100-year-old blouse. From so this is not your creation? No, not this no. blouse. No, no. Uh, this I made uh, for, for tonight. It's a wool jacket. Oh, that's exquisite. Uh, yeah, I was afraid I'm going to freeze, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had well, to make something. That's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about mm. also later. This this thing, where is there an opposition necessarily between what is beautiful and what is practical? But we'll, we'll get to that later. Okay. Uh, because you are also the reason why I look so wonderful <laughs> this evening. And uh, this is also what we see here, mm. this shirt in a white uh, version. And uh, this is part of what we can see on the little bag there, the mm. Kitsch collection, right? Yes. So maybe we should just start with that. Tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about the Kitsch Collection. Yes, uh, Kitsch Collection is a brand uh, that I started, um, which is inspired by the subculture around uh, Odd Nerdrum's painting school. Right, and then we have you together with Odd Nerdrum and two of his uh, <laughs> children there. Yes. Um, I have been studying this growing subculture for some years now. Um, and I can see that there is a, a need for an alternative and elegant clothing style for men. Right. Um, You're focusing specifically on men for this uh, collection. Yes, uh, I am. Right. Yes. Uh, uh, the brand is meant as an alternative um, to men's lack of variated and elegant clothes in a modernist era. Right. And uh, the guidelines uh, for the brand is inspired by the same guidelines as kitsch painters, uh, where a, a good handcraft, a good quality, uh, a toned down and harmonized palette, and timeless mark uh, is the baseline ingredients. Right. So it's white is not the main col color for. I mean, that's the question too. Is it? Only shirts, or what do you? What kind of clothing uh, does this involve? Oh, it started out with shirts. <laughs> it started because yeah. it's not you're not sort of you don't have a full collection yet, but you're developing. I'm developing, but it started with a, a serving kitsch painters with shirts. Right. Yeah. yeah, because you got you got commissions, right? Yes, uh, I got commissions. I got too many commissions. So, <laughs> uh, and I love that, uh, but. Um, I wanted to take it further, so uh, my concept is now like this, uh, that uh, um, 
each collection, I will pick one uh, kitsch person or a theme and uh, use that as um, a source of inspiration for one collection. And in each collection, all the shirts will be standing. Um, the coats and the jackets and the accessories will be numbered and sold out. Right. So uh, the first official launch of the Kish collection will be uh, focusing on Munk. A Munk? Um, yes. Right, because mm. I mean, you you sort of got this started because of uh, uh, meeting of Nurem and the environment yes. around him, right? Yes. But this is this shirt based on Munk? Mm. Like, how, how are you inspired by Munk then? Uh, this is not inspired by Munk, uh, but... Um, now I'm doing a collection that's inspired by uh, Munch's early paintings. Uh, oh, yeah. In in the f uh, in case of his uh, palette and the way he painted clothes. Okay. Uh, so I'm trying to find keys in his painting and adapt that into a design. Mm. Okay, so we're sort of um, going a bit early to something I was thinking about, uh, but I think we should should really go into it right now. Mm -hmm. So. You are inspired by the way he paints clothes. No, yes. You're not seeing these clothes as typical of that uh, era, and then because then you could go to well, photographs or illustrations in other books or whatever. Yes. But like how how you're inspired by his way of painting them? How does that affect the actual clothing? Yes, um, I I know what he wear because you can see his clothes in the Munch house, so mm. they are. You can see pictures of him and see what he actually wore. Uh, but I think it's more <laughs> interesting as a designer to see how he uh, painted the clothes because he he stylizes them. Most paint painters do that uh, because they don't, they don't know how uh, clothes are sewn together or <laughs> actually made. So they paint like... So they're basically different. ignorant and... <laughs> yeah, but they stylize it. They make yeah. the clothes a little bit more archetypical. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and because they stylize, it becomes more sort of yeah, archetypical. Yeah, they end up often with a form or a shape that reminds right. you of the time. Uh, some right. painters paint like extremely a lot of details and then you see, okay, this is painting is from... 1914 you are not to be copying every detail, all the things. I mean, this is not to be a drawing for someone to make clothing. If you're a painter, you have to think about how it works in the context of the painting, right? Yes. And then you focus on the, what is the essential forms. Mm. Yes. Is, so is that what inspires you then? Yes, definitely. Mm. Yes, definitely. Because I think if you uh, make the clothes a little bit more archetypical, they will, uh, you will sit with an essence of the clothes, of the nice. message, of the form, and that will, that will last longer in their, in the expression, that's in the style. That's fascinating. Mm. 
you always also are inspired by sculptures and Greek clothing. And uh, I'll not explain yet why this photo is hanging here of the inter mm. interior of a cathedral, mm. but uh, um, we'll get to that at the correct point. Mm. Um, so th the main topics for the evening would be to really understand how you can dignify man through clothing. Mm. And uh, of course, you've been talking about also transferring the kitsch philosophy into your work. So I'd yes. like to hear some, some about that. And, and uh, well, you've mentioned a little bit, and I think we'll talk more about it, what you've learned from painting. But there's also the, the, um, the, the thing that painters can also learn from clothing. Yes. And I think that could be a quite uh, interesting theme to talk about. Mm. And not least, I think we'll finish off with looking at the relation between clothes and psyche. Yes. Or to put it in very philosophical terms, how you can externalize your inner values. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's start off then with... Uh, to say more about your meeting with Odnordrum and that environment. Yes. Um, <clears throat> my first meeting with Odnordrum uh, and the school was very exotic. Uh, the, the first time I was at the school, uh, I saw Odds uh, dancing around with his brushes in his hands. <laughs> Painting enormous pictures that was as big as that you had to turn your head to see the whole story and uh, All was accompanied with loud classical music, right? So this was a very intense uh, vision for me, <laughs> <laughs> so I got a little bit afraid and uh, silent and um, And I wanted to know more about this Thing going on here. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, there was uh, a lot of people gathered in one place that had like uh, sort of the same inspirational uh, in in classical uh, references. Right. Uh, and that inspired me a lot. Because um, I, I guess you're not used to that from your education. I mean, if we should sort of take a little turn here and and talk mm. about your education yes how i mean when you say that coming down uh, and visiting uh, meeting of nodrum mm. was sort of a culture shock yes how absolutely. was your education and what what were you taught uh yes uh i have two main educations uh one of them was a very uh, production based uh education uh and the other one was at the National Academy of the Arts mm -hmm. in Oslo. And they are uh, very modernistic in their mind of thinking about creating. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> all the time I've been feeling a little bit uncomfortable with this way of approaching your work. Uh, and because you were, you were trying to make sort of classical inspired clothing at that point too, or...? Uh, yes, but uh, every time you, like, <laughs> the problem is that uh, a teacher can hang over you and say that, 
oh stop before you even made it finish they will like stop you and say oh uh, don't do that because that reminds too much of this uh, or if you do like this you will be in this box yeah um, if you uh, go too much in that direction you will uh, end up with costumes uh, if you do like more too much of this you will be uh, copying that one so right. uh, I was feeling a little bit like I couldn't um, uh, I, I didn't feel like I was fitting in there at all right. uh, so that's also one of the reasons why I think uh, the kitsch philosophy about um, imitation and like finding one person that you li really look up to and try to uh, adapt some of his techniques to make your own work better right um, so and fashion and art are really based on the same principles uh, they are an, even started to go together in biennials uh, the art and fashion biennial and stuff like that um, and I feel there is a very screaming tendency there um, very high-pitched right. uh, too much colors <clears throat> too many sharp edges um, and um, yeah yes. I mean it's you know it's it in one way it should be surprising but it's not I mean the way you describe uh, like the teacher hanging over you mm -hmm. is the exact same uh, experience that for example Marcus Post talked about the composer when he was here or that painters talk about or that you can hear from sculptors mm. all the things all the same uh, thing at the same time that you're not supposed to, to learn from or or use past sources as inspiration yes. right yes it's uh, strictly forbidden to right. uh, to but use I, anything that reminds of something someone else has did before you yeah. and uh, I've um, and I'm not, I, I don't want to copy because I have a lot of ideas myself. So my main focus isn't to, to copy anyone, but I think it should be okay to be inspired by each other. That's right. how it works. We are imitation based beings. Even kids imitate their parents all the time well, to yeah. learn. <laughs> yeah. they, they don't do anything else than that before they are seven years. So, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> So <clears throat> coming down and meeting Adnodrum and the environment around him was then like a, a, an acceptance of what you wanted to do. Yes, and there was uh, a lot of inspiration everywhere mm. uh, in, in paintings, in books, in music. It was like an eternal classical dimension that I can drown myself in, right, swim right. in inspiration. Right, right. So that was very big for me. Right. Mm. And I love also to see how art paints clothes. I think that's very interesting. Okay, so give us your perspective on that. Uh, yes. Um, I have been looking at his storyline of pictures and I have recognized that in his beginning there was uh, actual clothes. Um, some of them were a bit stylized uh, and through his career he has the the clothes have solved up more and more and what i have seen he they have dissolved yeah dissolved yeah. yeah and what i have seen recently is like they are pieces of cloth <laughs> uh, 
looking like a man, dressing for the first time in history, like with knots mm. and ties and yeah, cloth, yeah. <laughs> basically. No zippers uh, or anything. <laughs> no zippers <laughs> or buttons. So I was wondering where do you get this inspiration um, from? It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, that I, th I think he told, he's, uh, he's written about that one dream where um, Kette Kollwitz, a German uh, printmaker, she came to him in a dream and said, you have to leave the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was just, just a very funny huh. anecdote. But, um, okay, so, yeah, speaking of zippers, is that something you ever use uh, when designing uh, clothes? Um, like, do you try to avoid modern solutions at, all, uh, at any cost? Or? Uh, I am basically more uh, inspired uh, by m ancient clothes uh, mm. where they did not use zippers because uh, zippers is for very body shape clothing mm -hmm. uh, but right. I also design for uh, stage and uh, theater and uh, film and sometimes you need right to use that to well, make quick a, you changes. A, you get a commission, you accept the, the commission, so... Yeah, yeah I have yeah, to do that, it's understandable. of course, yes, but uh, mm. I am not very fond of uh, very body-tight um, clothing, right. because I don't think it's very healthy. Right. Huh. Mm. In painting, the problem throughout any period is that if a painter uses strong colors, pure colors, you know, speaking of painting uh, clothing, mm. um, if you paint someone in a red cape mm. and it's strong red color, then it just becomes red uh, paint on canvas. Yes. It doesn't look like clothing. Yes. Right? Um, is, it, is there the same problem uh, in, in uh, designing them? I mean, there's a specific reason for why you do not use very strong colors in your, uh, your um, design. Yes, I think it's still too much attention. Right. First of all, uh, the design should be as good as mm, the designs should need very strong colors. Right. Uh, and the strong colors, uh, they goes in and out of fashion, and from one color is fashionable. To it's fashionable again because the fashion goes in cycles right. then it will be so long the time will be so long that you have already thrown the right. garment in the trash so for <laughs> me it's better to stay away from very strong colors because right. that's uh, trend based and right. trends shifts all the time right yes and you know, this is really fascinating fascinating because there are so many um, similarities with the way apparently that you're thinking and that one would think in classical uh, figurative painting in mm. kitsch painting um, like one thing I'm reminded of and this is again something Sebastian Salvo mentioned uh, he talked about how Michelangelo uh, was it Michelangelo was it uh, Masaccio the point is the same um, that when you think as a painter, the clothing should be in fairly similar colors to the skin. 
so so they don't sort of cut the body up into different pieces of cake so to speak you know yeah but the the, uh, and and that's also the the greek way of thinking then that you have one whole form from the top of the head down yes. to the toes. Yeah. So it's not cut. This it's blue, green, red, whatever, and there's just a lot of patches, right? Yes. Right. And yeah. and um, uh, I mean, when you, then you get the, t- the total form of, of the body in one great form, right? Yeah, that's interesting, and yeah. I can absolutely join him in, in the way of thinking like one big form. Yeah. But I think it will not work so well with dressing all in skin tones because no i don't th- i think yeah, don't think it meant exactly the same colors boring. but i mean not not like great uh, neon uh, contrast uh, yeah there was a yeah. fashion not long ago that was named color blocking and that's uh, based on like uh, cutting the body in two with a green hair and yellow there uh-huh. or uh, black and white or like a shock yeah like a a chess game yeah yeah (laughs) that's not very pretty (laughs) (laughs) yes and so what other things then have you learned from painting or or uh, uh, i mean you've been talking about light and shadow for example yes um I like to study how you use light and shadow in the in the paintings. Um, when I look at some paintings and especially statues, I can see that there is a very um, that it's. I can see that there is a depth in yeah. uh, the in the draperies. Right. Uh, the light is like here and very dark in here. Um, so that can also give me a link that that I can use in uh, which uh, type of material I'm choosing in my designs. Yeah. Uh, if I want something with a with a very um, <clears throat> if I want something with a strong effects in my draperies, I can, for example, use silk because silk uh, absorbs light right. uh, where it hits. And where it's no light is like dark, yeah. so that gives um, a feeling reference oh, yeah. to yeah. to like um, statue drapings. And so you can sort of uh, um, manipulate and exaggerate volume. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. silk is the best to do that with. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I've seen again referring to painting. I've seen Adrian paint, and of course he gets the information from the model mm-hmm. but you wouldn't necessarily see that color on the model no. because he, he exaggerated so that he can you know on this two-dimensional surface you can get a three-dimensional form yes so it, it's kind of similar in, in some way you can <laughs> exaggerate somehow or, or yeah yes the volume yes so another thing that um, i'm really concerned with is composition yes I love to think about composition and that's very inspiring to see how you uh, compose your uh, paintings because uh, it gives a lot of information that would, that I also can adapt into clothing design. Like where you put uh, uh, the heavy and where you put the lights and the harmonization between the heavy and the lights uh-huh. in the 
the where's weight yeah weight heavy, yeah. heavy weight yeah um i can uh, transfer that to my own work and uh, see like where i can put the lines and um cut the fabrics and compose like an harmony on the body right yes because you can um put like more fabrics here or more fabrics here and that will do a lot to the composition you can you can comp componate com compose comp you can compose uh, an expression on a body right after yes it depends on how the body looks but you can manipulate the body a lot with thinking thinking composition on right. the body yeah right. right and i think we can reveal by why uh, this photo is here now yes this is the interior of a cathedral and yes. what is the point with this photo i am convinced that if you look at arch architecture uh, you can see that there are some lines that reminds you of the holy mm -hmm. um, in the medieval times for example and in uh, in Greek fashion as well, uh, they used a lot of uh, long silhouettes and they adopted the lines of uh, churches and temples and they used that in the clothing designs right. uh, to create a more uplifted expression. Right. Yes. Because you get, um, and again, it's not a lot of different color patches, it's one great big form. It's one great big form that goes upwards. Uh, architecture and fashion goes hand in hand all the time. They mirror each other in all times, even mm. today. Uh, modern architecture uh, mirrors in modern fashion. Right, right. Yes, and you can see, also, especially in ancient Greece, um, <clears throat> the fashion was inspired by temples. Uh, even the head pieces they used was inspired by uh, the tops of temples. Okay. Mm. Diadems. Yes. That's amazing. So you make each uh, person into like a temple. Yes, that's what they did. <laughs> and that's so. Wow, that's grand. Yes, it is. It's gracious. Yeah. Mm. That is amazing. Yes. So, okay, uh, are there any other things that then sort of specific things that you've learned or become aware of uh, from painting? Yes, I have been asking myself why you do this with your eyes all the time. Squinting. <laughs> squinting. Squinting yes. is the key concept. Yes, uh, you can use squinting in clothing design as well. Uh, so, well, the closest still there, I mean, you, how do you transfer? <laughs> Yeah, uh, me, for example, I like to look at history, uh, uh, costume history, and squint with my eyes and see like what is the basic shape here. Right. Uh, is there any shapes that's uh, repeating itself through history? And there, defini they, there are definitely shapes repeating themselves uh, through history. Right. And, uh, twitching with the eye that's uh, i i also often do that when i'm sitting uh watching people on the street 
because nice. then you can see that suddenly most people are very similar in the way they dress. Right. Yes. Mm. So <laughs> they could give you some keys to what archetypical clothing is. Right. Yes. And that that's uh, that's fascinating. Uh, I, I've been thinking about this. This is this is maybe a, maybe a bit uh, esoteric. I don't know, but <laughs> you know, um, in the uh, you know 19th century. Uh, uh, from the 19th century at least and upwards, you get landscape painting mm. with a lot of very perfect waves and movement in the water. Mm. And I think it's to a large degree also inspired by fo photo. Mm -hmm. And for example, if you contrast that with Lars Hartervik, Mm. The, that I, whom I mentioned several times in, in, in the different programs, yeah, no, you see that he he doesn't go into these small waves. No. He just makes the eternal water. Oh yes. <laughs> so I, you know, squinting has this idea of just making the unimportant disappear. Yes, that's very good to do that. Making the unnecessary disappear. Yeah. Mm. But that means, I mean, like, okay, if I work with a painting and I squint and I say, okay, this becomes more blurry and, you know, because mm. this should be more in focus. Mm. Like, how do you do it on the, on a shirt? Because if you squint, the shirt is still like it is. It's just in your mind that it looks more foggy <laughs> there and here. <laughs> I mean, you have to sort of transfer mm. that squinting into the actual shirt. Yes. Okay. Maybe actual, maybe that shirt is not as good example, but I can give you one other example. Mm. Uh, I realized sitting squinting on the street, uh, I was looking at all these uh, Rome people. Uh, yeah, gypsies. Yeah. Gypsies, yes. Yeah. There's a lot of gypsies in town. Mm. Uh, and I was uh, looking at them and uh, suddenly I saw that they, uh, they are uh, copying this themselves they are copying their own uh, cultural uh, historical outfits through... Uh, the uh, folk costume, you mean? Folk? Yes, folk costumes, yes. They have a long history of folk costumes that is extremely beautiful. Right. Uh, handcrafted luxury historical clothes in their foraging countries. Mm. Um, when they come here to Europe, they have uh, nothing. They had, don't have any money. They don't have clothes. So uh, they find clothes, uh, they buy very cheap clothes, used clothes, and they are mm, dressing uh, like they did home. They are right. uh, imitating their own history through clothes that they have found. And what kind of results do you get then? Uh, you get the same shape. You get the exactly same shapes of the outfits, just that they hold but just with All different fabrics, pieces of clothing. The different pieces of clothing are trash, but this form is the same. Right. Yes, that's very interesting, I think. That's amazing. So you can mm -hmm. see someone, I mean, I take it then that some of these clothes that they sort of piece together are not necessarily in themselves very beautiful, mm. but, but I mean, when you sit and squint, yes. <laughs> yes. then you can see the basic outline and you can learn from that. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yes. So, 
tell me something then. Um, you're concerned with dignifying man. Yes. Why <clears throat> is that so important? Why? Yes. And more, more specifically, dignifying men, right? Mm. Okay. Uh, when it comes to men's clothes uh, and women's clothes, the women has an ocean of clothes right. to drown in. She can wear uh, wh whatever she wants, uh, whenever she wants, in any situation that she wants. She can, she can choose, um, and she have a free social past to dress after which mood she is in, and no one will question. Uh, men has uh, first of all very few options, uh, and they have a very strict social um, expectations through their clothing. And uh, third, there is the same shapes everywhere. It's like basics, everything, every clothes for men that I haven't seen in the stores lately is the same. They come, they come in different colors and they come in different fabrics, but the sh shape is always the same. Hmm. And I'm not saying that I'm going to like shape shift the man totally, but I really want to to give something and lift the man up because I feel that women has been dominating the fashion too long now. Right. Mm. Right. And there's um, there's um, another aspect of this too. Yes. Um, you've been talking about women as consumers. Yes. Yes, I forgot to say some some very yeah. important thing about men, and that is uh, uh, the last years uh, I have been working with men only, and with every man that I worked with, he come to me and say that I cannot find what I'm looking for. Uh, can you help me? <laughs> Um, second is that a man, uh, he knows what he wants and he go to get it and then he keep it and then he wears it until it falls apart. So men, <laughs> they invest in their wardrobe instead of changing it all out all the time. And that is compatible with my the values as a class designer. Right. And that's why I want to give something to the men. Right, and you're also concerned with your cloth clothing lasting as long as yes, of course. manly possible. Yes, of course. I want them to be used until they fall apart. Right. That's my mission, yes. Yeah. So, in short, you're environmentally friendly. Mm, yeah, but that's not, that's not like my main focus. No, no, I no, know no. that it has to be that as well, uh, but... Uh. No, but, but I it just think it's I mean, very sad. I'm using yeah. a lot of time to create yeah. something, yeah, and yeah. then someone will wear it, wear it once, and then yeah. get tired of it and switched out. It, yeah. it hurts me. <laughs> it hurts me. I use time on this, you know. Yeah. yeah. And it takes time to make yeah. fabrics, and yeah. yeah, it's it costs more than you think to make clothes. Yeah, and, and yes. in, a way, in a way, also, I'm thinking, it's like you know, if you want to save money. Like you can always, like if you think about food, you want to save money, you can buy really cheap food. Yeah. But then you have to spend a lot of money later on medicines and operations and all these things. Yes. Instead of buying 
good quality food or good quality clothing yes that lasts longer yes i mean it's it's the one time uh, uh sum to pay for it mm -hmm. but it lasts longer and you look more beautiful yes yes i know and that's uh, a very healthy way men think about clothes mm. um women don't think like that uh they they buy because it's two for three Right. They buy because it's sale. Uh, they buy because they had the fight. <laughs> <laughs> they buy because they have their period. They buy because it's a new collection. Uh, they buy too much clothes. Uh, I know this for a fact because I worked in a uh, Norway's biggest recycling fabric for used clothes. Mm. And over 70% of the clothes coming in there is women clothes. Wow. Yes. Uh, and this is clothes that haven't been used almost at all. It's very, they are okay, you know, yeah. uh, it's nothing wrong with them. They right. are just tired of it and sense it. And maybe they're sitting there with uh, good samvittighet, what do you say? With a good conscience. Yeah, probably they have a very good conscience when they are thinking, oh, we will give this to a uh, recycling fabric and they will sell it uh, further. But mm. the problem is that it's so bad quality that they can't sell it further. So it has to be packed in large packages, um, flew in a way to another country and um, ripped up to pieces. Um, and you, they are using it for rooftops or something like that. Uh, yes, and so it goes into covering roofs. Yeah, they are um, mashing it up to yeah. fibers, right? And using it to roof, make roofs. Right. Yeah, I don't know exactly how the the process is, but uh, yes, right. yes. But it's uh, this is new clothes, you know. So I don't think it's okay. <laughs> um, over seven, yeah, I told you that over 70% of the clothes coming in are from women and oh, and almost 100% of the clothes coming in there with a tag still hanging on, it's from women. Right. And when men sends clothes in to this recycling fabric, um, they are, um, they are almost completely used up uh, so i feel that it's time to take the women a little bit down from the fashion horse <laughs> no can't say that but yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. no i mean it's um uh, uh it's a fantastic uh, thing that people can get better quality and they can even be environmentally friendly <laughs> yeah. if, they, if they order uh, clothes from you um, okay, so let's talk about a little bit about uh, or more about uh, clothing history. I mean, um, is it fair to say that you're not concerned with fashion but with with clothing history? I mean, you're not you're not designing things that are, should be popular in that sense or be be mm. completely mainstream. No, I've given that up because it changes all the time and I do not understand the underlying synapses of what's uh, ruling this uh, right. in and out. Right. 
the main thing in fashion is that uh, you have to shock every time if someone is if you're going to impress the world as a clothing designer you have to be shocking all the time right this is why you're talking about also about, about the similarities between art and fashion yes absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. yes ah. yes you have to provoke uh, shock or do something very f fantastic ah, okay. yeah. original basically original so yes you yeah. have to be original mm -hmm. but if you look at uh, earlier periods mm. like which period do you think uh was the most efficient at or or was most concerned with elevating man i think the the greek in fashion really does that through because it's a harmonious play with the fabrics and the person wearing it uh okay. they took their body as an utgangspunkt um, as a vantage point yeah, they took their bodies as a vantage point uh, and they uh, used the fabrics um, with, the, with the body uh, and the whole fashion is uh, gathered together by clipping and wrapping. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's one thing I learned from, uh, you sent me uh, a link to uh, some video lectures on YouTube. Yes. And these are called fibulas. Mm. Fibulas. They are called <laughs> fibulas. Yes. Uh, the classical Greek fashion is uh, um, consisting of three main um, pieces. Uh, one of them is a sheeton, which is basically a long piece of fabric, right. uh, which you wrap around like this, clip it with a fibula here and here, and you collect it uh, under the breasts. And over that, they used um, unhymation, which works as a cloak. Right, okay. Uh, men also wear hymation, and often with nothing so underneath. That would be what we see here. Yeah, that's unhymation. It works as an uh, over, overgarment, like outer right. garment. It's made out of light wool. Uh, they will wear it like a cloak. Um, so you can basically just adjust it. To, like to your body, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, when men wear that with nothing underneath, it was called an akiton. Yes, and uh, the third uh, garment uh, the Greeks used was a peplos, which is a right. high, which is a tube of fabric, which is longer than the carrier, uh, which they held like um, on their bodies, wrap it down here according to the height of the body right and they will um, clip it together here and gathered it uh, either here or longer down right so yes that's a uh, fantastic thing that that i mean that would be correct me if i'm wrong uh one major difference then between this type of clothing and modern mass pr produced clothing that you can uh, I mean, I saw that in that lecture series that you, you tipped me about. Yes. Uh, the, the ultimate fashion history is quite, quite uh, entertaining. Yes, yes. And, and she shows that. And you see that, that this, uh, the last piece of clothing, I'm sorry, mm. the tube 
<laughs> oh, pep loss. Yes. Yes. It could be adjusted to the body type, the height, whatever, yes. of yes. the person. Yes. So it's not like, okay, just buy what you get in the store, but you can adjust <laughs> it to yourself. And that, I think that could be sort of the part of why uh, the Greeks uh, looked more elevated. Yeah, they were, this is a total other way of, another way of dressing because a modern way of dressing, you are forcing your body into a shape uh, yeah. that's... Or uh, this shape. <laughs> yeah, or this shape. A shape that we socially agreed to be beautiful. Right. And uh, that shape does not fit all. So mm. uh, a lot of people uh, will have low, lower self-esteem uh, because they do not fit in this uh, form. Um, and it uh, creates a feeling of uh, uncomfortableness to, right. to have Because it's not tight. adjusted to you. No, it's not adjusted to you or your body. It's like a form that's very unhealthy. Really? Uh, young girls have... Uh, they don't breathe as uh, much as they should because <laughs> they... I don't know, maybe we can to have this. <laughs> But I know a lot of young people that holds their breath because the t the pants are too tight. Right, right, right. Too tight. Yes. Uh, so, so um, what I'm thinking is, you know, in painting, you can mm -hmm. say broadly speaking, there's so. Uh, it's a bit exaggerated, you could say, of course, but broadly speaking, it's it's sort of before and after the Industrial Revolution. Mm. Like, in, of course, with painting, you get the modern concept of art, which were, with all the values that you had to were shoved down your throat as well, mm -hmm. uh, about it being original and all these things, that takes the focus away from doing classical work. Mm. Um, but it's that sort of a... Um, a watershed moment also in, in clothing? Is this sort of before and after the, the before and Yes, absolutely. Yes, because before that the fashion was more exclusive right. and it belonged to the higher highest members of the society. And uh, after the Industrial Revolution, uh, clothing were more practical and more mass-produced. Of course. Stop for one second. You said more practical. Yes. Yeah. Is that also a sort of a big? Because I, I was I was thinking about it just today. You have mm -hmm. this uh, really nice book here. Yeah. About fa uh, or fashion history or or uh, history of, of different yes. clothing, and it's the man. The, speaking of man clothing. Yes. Does the suit originate? around that time or did they wear sh suits before it seems like a fairly modern thing to sort of walking mm. around in a military uniform basically yes uh, i don't remember when the suit stopped taking shape but uh, the suit has uh, i think it's uh, comes from a, f a frock right yeah uh, -huh. uh yes but i can check uh, check yeah, it yeah, yeah. yes okay. but i know that uh, um under the Renaissance, uh, you had the first edition of a modern men's shirt. Okay. Yes, before that, it was uh, a primary uh, cutted um, tunics. No tunics. Right. It's the longest, uh, longest lasting garment in all history, the tunic. Uh, 
but my point it was um, in the Renaissance uh, they walked from just having a hole in the to the head yeah. to started to gather fabric around the hole to make like a thing like this a collar yeah. Col yeah as the collar um, clothes do not have to be unpractical to be beautiful uh, you can combine that of course you have to think about uh, where you're going and what you're going to do uh, but uh, when I was inspired by this Greek fashion at first I was thinking oh they come from a hot climate and I can't adopt those forms to right. a Norwegian climate because it's too cold here uh, they were living good lives in a hotter climate um, <clears throat> but I, I feel it's no problem to adopt these forms into uh, fabrics that fits more for a colder environment. Um, because you're looking for the fundamental forms. Yes, not, that's what not, I do. I mean, that's one thing I, I, uh, I heard on the radio. <laughs> they talked about, I think that was actually more or less around the same, the same time when, when Kant died, perhaps a bit later. Yeah, I guess so. Um, in Norway, where they would dress uh, a la Greek mm -hmm. in the manner of Greek mm. clothing, and they would wear these thin things, mm -hmm. and would, the women would freeze. The women would freeze. <laughs> they would freeze all the time, of course, because mm -hmm. they were supposed to dress in the Greek manner. But the, yeah. the clothing was—I mean, they, they they took it literally. They didn't think, apparently, the way you are thinking, okay. where you're looking at the what is the basic structure here. But of course, you don't wear thin fabric <laughs> no, <laughs> when it's winter. No, 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 no of course. <laughs> but uh, you can see also the medieval is also inspired by the uh, Greek, uh, the Greek fashion, yes. Right, yes. Oh. Uh, Or maybe more to Roman, but Roman okay, come yeah. after the Greek and they, they follow each other in the history. Mm, mm. Mm. But they... My point was that in the medieval they used more wool and leather um, while they still kept a lot of the shapes. So it mm. is possible, <laughs> yes. Mm. I mean, um, so there's another thing that you mentioned uh, when we were preparing for this. Um, underlining attractive forms. And I guess you would design clothes for men differently f than from women then? Yes, of course. Um, there are some forms. Uh, there are some forms that are um, more beautiful than others uh, that goes through history. For example, um, uh, the height of a woman. Um, and uh, <clears throat> the gracious expression, uh, a woman has breasts, she has mid, she has hips. Uh, and by putting the lines in the designs uh, that could lift these uh, forms up, uh, that's like <laughs> an, inter an eternal hit, you know? Yeah, so that's one way of solving it. Uh, I feel what the Grecian fashion did was that uh, they did the same. They <clears throat> they had a lot of fabrics in their clothes, 
so they will naturally rest on the parts of the body that was outstanding yeah, yeah. and beautiful and uh, if a woman had a too big belly it wouldn't show you know because the right. fabric was resting on her breasts and like floating right, right down right, right. <laughs> unless it's a biased cut then it will go in follow the body all the way down right yes and that i guess has gotten lost in modern design or um yeah uh, it does the um the body shape cuts are dominating absolutely mm. and uh, the more boxy shapes for women are uh, more modern now than before yeah. uh, and that goes all the way back to the Renaissance, uh, where it was very popular to um, tighten the body of a woman. Yeah, with the corset, you mean? Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. So to squeeze the body Yeah, it, into they shape. squeezed it down to 32 right. centimeters. My God. Yeah, it was horrible. Oh. So they got sick of that, extremely sick by fashion, of fashion. They got sick of fashion. Yes. Literally, yes. And that, you know, that that struck me as a funny point. I don't know if you would agree, but <laughs> I'm thinking if you <laughs> if you're concerned with being dressed more timeless, yeah, which I see as sort of a synonym for being uh, more dignified, yeah, um, it might be a good thing to not have too much money, at least before the industrial revolution, that you did not have to go through this fashions but you could <laughs> you could dress more without a lot of uh, details a lot of uh, uh, patterns and whatever and corset uh, yes that's mm. true uh, but the fashion history we know today is documented uh, by and of the rich people in society because right. it was they who had the money to uh, to wear fashionable clothes mm. uh, um, and the fashion really reflects how the society is. Um, <clears throat> the fashion reflects what's going on in the society. Like in the Byzantine era, uh, from 300 to 1200 after Christ, uh, it was pretty much the same fashion as Roman fashion, uh, but they suddenly started to have a lot of ornaments in it. Right. They were they woven in to golden threads in their fabrics, uh, and that was because because they made uh, handel trade. That was because they were starting to trade a lot with India and China, so the fashion got very orient oriental. They uh, oriented themselves. They oriented themselves. Yes, yeah. and. Uh, but in the Chinese emperor uh, kimonos, for example, the oldest kimonos, some of the oldest kimonos found, they have uh, golden kimonos with silk threads and peacock feathers. They used peacock as a thread to, to wove in the fabrics. Wow. So what happens when the light reflects is that's really special. <laughs> it's a rainbow coming at you. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yes. So uh, there is a lot to read in the fashion. Um, yes. But back to your question. Um, 
uh, it's a lot of information, but it's not synonymous with uh, that it is beautiful, right. if you know what I mean. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. right, right. Mm. I mean, it's the, again, I can, my, what I'm able to do is to compare it with painting all the time. And if you have a painting with a lot of details in the background and foreground and all over in the corners, whatever, yeah. then you don't get focus. Yeah, that's true. It becomes very boring. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's something to think yeah. about. And even when you dress yourself, you should think about that. Right. Yes. And then there's one thing um, that I wanted to mention uh, when it comes to, to uh, dignifying or elevating man or human mm. beings. Men, in this case. Uh, we're talking about it at the Care Post team. And uh, one of them mentioned that one thing that you could, um, you could see in this shirt is that the sleeves are so large yes and that makes the head appear smaller so yeah. that you appear taller yes have, that's you, have you thought about that is that of course i have thought about that yeah. uh i told you i was look inspired by the oh yes they look very antique <laughs> oh, yes and uh with wow. the fabrics uh, i use almost only linen and wool and silk and what I love so much about the linen is uh, the more you wear it, the more kind of character does it uh, does it get. Right. Yes. Uh, right. For example, cotton uh, has a very short um, survival period. It right. gets uh, uh, dirty and you get stings that won't fall off. And uh, but the linen uh, it absorbs uh, life in another way. It uh, sort of gains more texture and it it lasts longer i mean it's stronger as as fabric as material yeah it's stronger right. and right. i like how the it gets this crispy look right i think yeah. it's um well, it's, it melts it, with the with the person wearing it right it's kind of again like in painting i mean the last it's sort of the, the last uh, works of titian mm. you know things are worn down it's mm. not clear colors. It's not clear shapes. Everything is sort of squinted at. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about how, uh, you know, the relation between clothes and psyche. Yes. Before we get to that, though, um, we have a question from the audience. Mm. So let me just remind our viewers you can go to patreon.com slash and you can support us on four different levels and one of the levels vermilion you get a guarantee that your question will be answered and your name mentioned <coughs> this person however wants to be anonymous will respect that and the question is as follows there is an old myth that says wear clothes with brighter colors and you'll be happier what do you think of this saying and why is it that you have chosen to do the opposite, to tone down your coloring? For example, she goes on, uh, there's a diversity of earth colors in your palette. Is this your conscious attempt of drawing us humans away from the impotent pop culture society <laughs> <laughs> and back to our core foundations, back to nature? nature? Okay. <clears throat> okay. Uh, if you need more colors to brighten up your life, I will suggest go buy flowers. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, yeah, oh, because your mood changes all the time, so <laughs> flowers doesn't last so long as clothes do. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, it reminds me also of this, you know, that scene from the, the Ibsen play. This man says, oh, I want everybody to love me, I want everybody to like me. And then the servant says, buy yourself a dog, master. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so clothes are not the place for strong colors no i don't think so but maybe this person who needs to be uplifted just needs attention <laughs> and then it could be a very good idea to have strong colors because mm. then people will look at you right yes <laughs> so but what's about the toned down colors then of your palette mm, i think i'll stick to that um mm. Uh, what was the question about uh, Don Dan Palace? So I can say the, the, the first part, which is uh, really interesting here. Uh, there's an old myth that says, wear clothes with brighter colors and you'll be happier. Yeah, brighter yeah. colors could be yeah. white, you know? Yeah. White is bright, white is uplifting, white mm. lifts up your face, white uh, reflects the light onto your face and then you will become brighter. Right. Yes, it doesn't have to be yellow or pink. <laughs> I don't right, think so, so. So you can have a light uh, value, but not necessarily a strong color. Yes. Right. Yes, mm. that's what I mean. Yes. Mm. If you wear white, you will probably f feel clean. <laughs> well, you better be. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, Let's talk a little bit then about uh, this relation between the clothing and psyche. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the books that you suggested to me is this, uh, The Actor in Costume mm -hmm. by Aofi Monks. And there is a, there is a uh, uh, really interesting passage here. Uh, he, Penteos then, when he is dressed, he finds that his sight has been transformed once he is dressed in the robes and wig of a woman. Mm. He sees Dionysus in animal form and his vision begins to blur. Why now I seem to see two sons, mm. a double Thebes. Dressing up makes Pentheus see double. Perhaps this is not so surprising after all. Dionysus is the god of wine and theater. It turns out that dressing up has made Pentheus drunk, disorienting him. And this is really f interesting, allowing him to access versions of the world previously unavailable to him. Yes. And he is liberated from his rigid masculinity. Yes. That's, that was really amazing. Yes. Uh, that's something I also wanted to talk about. <clears throat> How being aware of your daily costume, if you could call it that, because you are an actor in your own life you have a role, you have a character, and you have a costume. Everyone wears clothes. So being aware of your costume, uh, other versions of the world can be available to you. Right. <laughs> yes, that's how right. it works. Yes, I can give you one very easy and cliche example if you want to. Uh, if you are a male, you are a slump, you don't dress very well, you can never get the job you wanted, and you can never like get the attention from the women that you want to look at you. You can do one easy exercise in your own life. And that could be 
borrow a nice suit from an uncle or someone else. Take on this suit and pretend that you wear the suit every day. Right. And take a walk in the city. And you can see that uh, different people will look at you. Different people will say hello to you. Uh, people in the store will talk differently to you. Uh, people around you will have other social expectations to you. Uh, and after this, um, um, other um, opportunities can open up because right. you change your character. Right. So this is very important to be aware of your daily costume. Yeah, acting I, in your own life. And, and um, this is also fascinating. You mentioned an example and I had thought of the exact same thing. So it's really fundamental. Like, and, and the example is how would a depressed person dress? Yes, a depressed person. You know, uh, what you wear and how you act is an extension of your own self-perception or, or yes it's an extension uh, what you wear and how you act in life is an extension of how your inner life is right. how you see yourself how you think how you what kind of beliefs you have of the world and so your outer this is like your the lag your your outer, outer layer yeah this yeah. is your outer layer Right. And it's so much to read about your outer layer because right. we perceive the world visually. So right. the first thing we recognize at the people is the pure visual. Right. And even though you maybe not think so much about it, you see a person and you categorize this person. And um, a depressed person in your example uh, would probably try, try to hide himself a little bit. Um, Maybe he would use dark clothes, unflattering clothes, uh, try to hide himself. He would sit a little bit like... Mm. Uh, he will not be a cathedral. <laughs> he will not be a cathedral, no. Yeah. yeah. And very, I mean, the image that I've, and I've seen it is this baggy clothes, right? Yes. That do not reveal anything about the shapes no underneath. he will make himself invisible because he do right. not want confrontations he don't, doesn't want attention he, that's fascinating he wants to disappear in the mass because then then there's lo lo no longer a body there or, or, or a me there so some so, so somehow trying to hide that yes wow but i do not think you can use clothes alone to turn this around, but you can use it uh, as an ingredient in your way of turning this around. Yeah. Um, but I, mm. There's one thing I wanted to mention there. Yeah. And this deals with, because I'm, I'm quite concerned with the importance of myth. Yes. And Joseph Campbell, the, the famous mythologist, is, if I understand him correctly, basically says that this is a biological need to understand where you are in life, the different, uh, different, uh, um, different aspects, the different periods of your life, mm -hmm. um, and the necessity then of 
doing things with your body, not just thinking them, mm-hmm. but doing things with your body. Yes. So that it really sits in you, not just intellectually, it has to sit in the body. And I guess when you're talking about trolling like this, yes, this becomes a, as a complete unification between what is inside of your head and how you are outwards. Yes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, because it, it's the typical superficial way of thinking about clothing or fashion is all it's just uh, being vain, being superficial and all these things. But mm-hmm. it's not that easy. No, it's not that easy. Because first you think, I think, but when you are, you are, and then you will take your whole, um, your whole body or your whole, mitt hela värde, min hela världen, hur kan jag säga det? Your whole... Your, all your inner values or all yes. your existence would be manifested yes. on. Yes. Uh, yes, it's a difference between just thinking one thing and to integrate all your ideas into values that you are mm. acting out from. Right. So you, when you are like an, um, fully, fully developed idea, it is integrated in your hands and in your uh, acting look, and in your costume and right. yes. music you listen to mm. and, yeah. yes look at Alt for example <laughs> just yeah. to mention him again <laughs> he he wears a robe all the time yeah. he is a painter yeah, yeah. yes like a, a sur- surgeon yeah. who's at work yeah. he's a, he's a surgeon at daytime and then he takes off his right. uh, cost his uh, his work clothes. The, his work clothes. Yeah. And then he come home and he is a husband or yeah. he is a boyfriend. I remember traveling, traveling with another uh, and, and two others who we went to see a painting magician. Mm-hmm. One of his absolute masterpieces. And uh, he was wearing a sort of normal suit mm-hmm. because we were out traveling. But then when we got into the room in the little museum, we were alone there. He took on his... Uh, his painting frock, so he and took off the shoes, so it should be at home. <laughs> okay, okay. Huh, and, that's but that, that's an you know externalization then <laughs> of yeah, like com- complete um, identification with the situation you're in, right? Yes. Mm. Um, by using clothes to externalize your inner values is extremely important to yourself because yeah. uh, everything you do with your body and your outer looks. Uh, will work as signals to the outer Thanks. world. So by being aware of every single you send out, yeah. you will receive uh, exactly what you need and what you want. Um, yes. Yeah. So that's very important to think about. <clears throat> yeah, there's another quote here talking about Pentheus. Um, his plight, because of course he's killed and, mm-hmm. uh, by his own mother, his plight suggests that costume does far more than decorate the surface of the body, rather that it comes with risks and possibilities for the bodies and psyches of actor and audience alike. Penteus stands as a reminder of the interaction between how we see the world and what we wear. And that's more or less the same, or a similar point to, to what you're making there. I mean, it's a, the way you're perceived, but also how you perceive the world. Mm-hmm. 
there is uh, to to use that uh, to the full uh, you should be aware of your acting with the costume <laughs> yes <laughs> yes yeah. so uh, when you look at yourself in the mirror especially if you are a depressed person I don't think clothes can fix your depression but if you buy some clothes or dress a way that you really think is beautiful you should look in the mirror and absorb the beauty of yourself mm. and take that feeling with you like I am beautiful <laughs> because you are and then people will also look at you um, to accordingly, be yeah. yeah accordingly and they will uh, look at you in a more beautiful way and then you will feel more beautiful so this is like you can use quotes as an affirmation right. to get out of uh, bad tendencies and uh, lack of self-esteem and so or nice. if you want to go into specific roles in your yeah. life if you're like you were a teenager for some years and you want to be finished with being teenagers maybe it's time to like put some of those teenager clothes in the closets yes. and take on a new costume to go into a new phase of life. That's, that's amazing because Campbell talks about the same exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, so, so his idea is that myths, as he says, let you know where you are in life. Mm -hmm. And he talks about pe people being really conscious about that and not saying, oh, I should be 20 again or whatever, but being conscious about that transition in age mm -hmm. and then changing the way they dress. Yes. Because they are entering a new age. Yes. And even even changing their names. But I mean, still changing your clothes to emphasize that a transition has occurred. Yes. Your clothing functions as a language without right. words. Uh, if you go back to Roman culture, uh, and especially for men, they had, for example, togas for every aspect of life. And togas will be based on the Greek. Yeah, yes, yes. They didn't wear togas in Greece, but a toga is uh, uh, is born. I, I guess it's inspired by the hymation. I guess. Right. Toga is a very, 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 very long uh, piece of fabric, oh, okay. but okay. they were yeah. worn differently. You have, for example, the toga virilis. That was so. If you see a guy in a toga virilis, you know that he is between fourteen or sixteen years old, or a lower member of the senate. Right. Or you can have the toga prexta, uh, which was for boys uh, before they came of age or the higher member of uh, the Senate. And you can have the toga picta, that was uh, for generals or men that perceived uh, good in uh, gladiator games. Mm. And uh, you could have the toga pulla, uh, which was a dark colored toga uh, that signalized to other people in the society that something very bad was going on. If there was an imperial crisis, or really yes, That's uh, amazing. yeah, imperial crisis, uh, the economics going down, or if someone died. So, so if you see a man wearing this toga pula, you know that there was something bad going on. This was a mourning toga, so okay, the clothes right. spoke for you. That was the point. Right. Yes. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. 
That's amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And then we're getting into um, one thing I'm I'm really interested in hearing you talk about. You're talking. You've been talking about what you have learned from painting, and of course also from sculpture, and yes. architecture. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Maybe I'm making this up, but I I would I can speak speak for myself. I would not necessarily be so interested in fashion history. I would see it as something completely different because I'm a painter, right? Yes, of course. But your part would be uh, there's <laughs> stuff I can learn from looking at yes. clothing history. Uh, you have to ask yourself, where does this person come from? Uh, where is this person now and where is this person going? Uh, which social class does this person belong to? And uh, what does this person trying to say to you? Uh, what does he express in his clothing? So, for example, if I'm a painter and uh, I want to pay more attention to the clothing of the figures, but the clothing, I don't have like, you know, the nice clothing for a painter to use. So, um, or maybe they're too nice, too modern, too clean, whatever, if yeah. I want to depict someone who's, who's struggling or whatever. Yeah. Like, I know you have some inside tips yeah. <laughs> on what people can do with yes. their clothes. Yes. Um, I recommend uh, to remember your painting universe when you're outside. So if you go, uh, if you're walking by a market with vintage clothes, for example, I recommend you to like collect clothes to have in mm. your studio. Uh, so you can build up the character in your studio. Um, and if the person in in the story has gone through specific episodes or some in your life, you can go into the clothes and do some things about them just to make the uh, clothes look more uh, honest or to make uh, the person wearing them more uh, till it's maybe more trustworthy yeah to mm. make the person wearing it more, more trustworthy right so right. The, the your um your model will will be more into their roles modeling for right. you yeah when I mean, you mentioned one thing which i thought was uh, showed an amazing insight you talked about uh, you know, when we were going back and forth uh, before this recording, um, you talked about is the person, as an advice to a painter, mm -hmm. is the person you're painting trying to uh, appear as something else than he is? Yes, yes. <laughs> that's quite advanced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, but that's, uh, yeah, you can... So you can, so with clothing to show that this person is, well, I guess... The expression could show this, but the clothing doesn't fit with the expression. Yeah. And so you could use that consciously to say that he's trying to uh, to be something he's not. Right? Yes, of course you can. <laughs> you amazing. can. Yes. Uh, isn't that a, an example of that in Norwegian painting history? Uh, the prostitutes and uh, this. Uh... Oh, the one by Christian Krog. Yes. Uh, I don't think it's very obvious in that painting. But... No, and it's a really bad painting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, 
here's a last little quote. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy this. I'm uh, so grateful that you tipped me about this book. Mm -hmm. We can consider the power of costuming to shape identity and form bodies. Costuming can also invoke the audience's deeply complicated act of looking at the surface of the actor's body and allows us to recognize how the performance might not want us to see the actor's surface, but rather encourage us to look beyond, past or through it to some imaginary internal substance or being. And I think that's also one, one thing that a painter can be really consider when it comes to what do you, how do you dress your figures? Mm. What do you want them to see that figure or do you want them to see some concept, some, uh, and some, some um, universal character, right? Yeah. yeah. Huh. I mean, you, you see it in, in uh, a big group, uh, it's like five, six figures. It's a group by Rodin. Mm -hmm. And this, it's called the Burgers of Calais. Mm -hmm. And the story is that this Calais was, was uh, sieged mm -hmm. in the 14th century or so. Mm -hmm. And they have to give up. And the victor demands that the five of the most prominent uh, persons shall come dressed in rags mm -hmm. and deliver him the keys to the city. Yeah. And that's really, uh, I mean, then you can really see, you can almost have stereotypes for if you want someone to be defeated, well, use rags. <laughs> yes, yes. That's a very basic way to dress in right. rags. Yes, right. yes. And uh, yeah, I think I know which sculpture you mean. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. They are very melancholic in their expression. They have oh, like hoods, right? They yeah. are totally given up. They are very heavy. Yeah, mm. by using this very heavy materials, they underline the depression and the heaviness. That's a, yeah, they're really dry, like pulled down. Yes, they're very pulled down. It's, it looks like the fabric is so heavy that they are yeah. like, yeah, yeah, they they are depressed. They have given up. Did mm. did, did you know uh, uh, by the way that Rodin first made the nudes and mm. then he put on the clothes? Yeah, so he used the clothes to underline the message. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. that's something painters should be aware of, definitely. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, so at the end here, mm -hmm. if someone has seen how wonderful you look and how <laughs> wonderful I look in all modesty, <laughs> how can they go about getting such a wonderful shirt? Um, <clears throat> They can contact me through my website, which is uh, dragesund.com, or they can find me on Instagram. Kitsch Collection. Yes, but that's the brand I'm launching officially. Yeah, okay, it's up, not up and going yet. No. To the no. fall. Yes, you can follow hmm. Kitsch Collection official at Instagram or Kitsch Collection dot no mm. not com <laughs> that mm. was occupied dot no mm. uh, to follow the launch of my brand uh, if you want something in the meantime you have to contact me through my website right. dragisund.com right yes 
Perfect. Mm-hmm. Any famous last words before we finish? Thank you for letting me be a part of this very nice community. I'm very grateful. Mm-hmm. Thank you for coming. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for watching. Remember, you can support our show at patreon.com slash cave of a palace. I'll see you next month.